Okay, let's go to the Bible. We're going to turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6 now, and continue the teaching series that we've been in for the last couple of months. We've been slowly working our way through the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament. It's relatively, it's one of these more relatively obscure books in the Bible. If you've never heard of it, don't worry about it. It's even people who are really into the Bible, they're like, where, where, where is that one again? Um, but it's a phenomenal letter. I've said it a few times already, but just in way of introduction, the book of Nehemiah kind of feels like you're reading someone's journal. Nehemiah, a man who lived a long, long time ago, he loved God. He was attempting to trust and obey God. And in that, along the way, God told him that he wanted him, Nehemiah, to go back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding a wall around the city there. And we don't need to go into all the history. We've already done that. But that's basically what we're jumping into. This is a guy who had a vision from God to rebuild something that God was a part of, that God was, was leading him to be a part of um, in this ancient city a long time ago. Um, and there's a lot of lessons in it. There's these parallels that we find as we're reading the story of this man rallying God's people to rebuild something, overcoming opposition, um, of leadership, like all of these little things. We're like, oh, this is obviously applicable to us even now today in the year 2021 as followers of Jesus. Um, God is continuing to tell the story of his faithfulness. Nehemiah's life and in our life today. So with all that said, Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hecatherim at the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent me, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his uh, servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. Proclaim saying, there is a king in Judah. And now the king, Babylonian king, will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. And then I sent to them again saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. So they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. 
Now, O God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was, confined, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, such, such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy, the false prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And Nehemiah prays again, remember Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God. According to these things they, that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Father, help us. Pray that you would be our teacher this morning. And as we consider these words, these events that happened in an ancient time, Lord, I pray that you would. Help us to hear uh, your voice to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Talk about fear this morning. We're going to talk about fear and fright. Nehemiah um, has finished building the wall. Yay! 52 days. Not bad. Um, quite a leader. They have faced a variety of challenges, logistical challenges. Um, they have enemies that don't want to see them complete the wall. Uh, people of neighboring cities, nations who, uh, they, they like that Jerusalem has been destroyed. They like that the wall has been torn down. Uh, they like that the people of Israel have been conquered and deported, taken away um, to live as, as Slaves, essentially, exiles Babylon. And now God is continuing the work that he started. And uh, they've rebuilt this wall. But the opposition's not given up yet. They're trying to incite fear. Sending letters, spreading rumors, taunting Nehemiah, all in an attempt to cause him to react to be afraid, to react in fear, perhaps stop the work, perhaps rethink the plan, something other than continue this, this work that they've started, that God is doing through their efforts. So now Nehemiah is having to deal with the very real um, challenge of fear. Fear, overcoming fear, uh, the, the exhortation, the encouragement, the command to overcome fear is actually one of the great refrains throughout Scripture. The story of God, the story of God's people trusting him and overcoming fear. Let me read to you uh, just a few 
smattering of examples of what I'm talking about. Genesis 15. Genesis 15 is the first time we see in Scripture, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 15 is the first time we see a person, a man, Abraham in this case, commanded to not fear. Abram, Abraham, had heard God tell him to leave his hometown and to go to some random place out in the middle of the desert that he'd never heard of before. God spoke to him. Genesis 12, God spoke to this man, Abraham, and said, go, I've got a great plan. I'm going to involve you. I'm going to do something through you and your family that's going to change the world. It's going to be good. Everyone's going to be blessed if you'll trust me and obey. So he goes. Ten years go by. He's been wandering around in the desert waiting for something to happen. He still doesn't have a kid. Nothing seems to be coming to pass, and God meets him again in Genesis 15 and says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision again, and he said, Fear not, Abraham, or Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. Genesis 21, a woman named Hagar is sitting out in the middle of this desert, not far from where Abraham and his wife were. She's been rejected. She's been kicked out of the family. She's been exploited, used, and sent away. And now her and her child are sitting in the desert. She's watching her little boy die of dehydration, die from exposure in the desert. And because of family politics and rife insecurity in this already strained marriage, Hagar is now waiting to watch her child die, die, and God meets her there. The angel of the Lord calls out to Hagar from heaven and says to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Deuteronomy chapter 20. God's little ragtag group of slaves slash the nation of Israel have been wandering around in this desert for 40 years, and now they're about to cross over and enter into the land that God had promised Abraham in the first place. And they're facing a war that they can't possibly win. And it says that God commanded the priest to speak to the people, saying, let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread for the Lord your God. He goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Ruth, chapter 3. A man named Boaz says to a woman named Ruth, as she hopes for redemption in the wake of spousal death and her family being torn apart. He says to her, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. David, King David, says to Mephibosheth, a disabled man with no family, no inheritance, nothing but the legacy of a grandfather who was a paranoid, narcissist coward, the emphasis King Saul. David says to this, this young disabled man in 2 Samuel 9, do not fear, for I will, sh I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will, will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat from my table always. A few more. Isaiah. Isaiah. 
chapter 35. To those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense. God will come and save you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Fear not. Daniel chapter 10. When Jesus makes an Old Testament cameo appearance and says to Daniel, an exile living in servitude to the nation who ruthlessly destroyed his home and his people, he says, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Matthew chapter 10, three more. Jesus speaking to his disciples as they faced rejection, persecution, and eventually even death because they chose to tell the world about Jesus instead of finding their security and acceptance temporarily in this life. Jesus says to them, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, speaking of God. He says the same thing in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after having done that, have nothing more they can do to you. That's extreme. Acts chapter 18. The Lord said to Paul in a vision as he was attempting to tell people the truth about Jesus in a very, very hostile, anti-Christian culture. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you to harm you yet, for I have many in this city who are my people. And finally, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaking to the church in Smyrna as they prepared to face demonic attack, imprisonment, torture, and death. Jesus says, do not fear what you are about to suffer Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Fear not. And that is just a smattering. Over and over and over and over, we read stories of people who have been rejected by their families, people who have suffered loss. I love the story of Mosheba, hard word, Mokiboshef. Don't name your son Mokibosheth. A young disabled man who with no hope, no future, God meets him and tells him, fear not, I'm with you. I will take care of you. I will be strong on your behalf. I will fight for you. I will help you. Don't be afraid. Over and over again, God meets people in seemingly hopeless circumstances and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm with you. I'm for you. I will fight for you. What are you afraid of? Arachnophobic, that's real. Are we just going to open it up? 
not alone, Hafton. You are definitely alone. I know for sure there's a few people in here who have confessed such fears. What are you afraid of? Failure. Rejection. What you found out. Nehemiah. They were attempting to, um, well, they were lying, spreading rumors about him, trying to convince Nehemiah and the people that uh, the, the word had gone out that they were trying to uh, basically usurp the authority of the king in Babylon and start a rebellion. Nehemiah said, no, you're just making up lies. I know that's not true. We're told specifically on the fifth attempt that the guy showed up with an open letter. Meaning, okay, this is now no longer just between Nehemiah and his accusers, like the rumor is being circulated. An attempt to incite fear. I reckon there's very few things more terrifying than being exposed. Could you imagine if you showed up here one day and found out that there's an open letter being circulated around the church about so-and-so or so-and-so and the stuff going on in their life? I mean, that is one of the great fears of being a part of, of any community, a church community. Like, what if people find out what's really going on in my life? What if word gets out that so-and-so's got such-and-such an issue? I mean, apparently gossip like happens in churches. Have you heard of this? This is a real thing. It's sick. You want to talk about a demonic um, attack? Oh, gossip will do it for sure. What about the fear of just like being honest? What do you say? Forget the open letter. I'll write the letter. I'll tell you exactly what's going on. I'll be the first. I'll confess. I'm afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of spiders. That's, who's afraid of spiders? I'm just kidding. A lot of people. But let's say you do open up. Let's say you make yourself vulnerable. Then what? People aren't going to like outrightly reject you. That would be unchristian. But we'll do all sorts of judging in our hearts. Slight change of tone. We used to connect, but now you're just, there's this weird vibe. I don't know if it's just me and my insecurity or if I'm really like picking up on something. That's terrifying. Being found out. So many things to be frightened of. What do you do with your fears? Now, this, this is the real question. What do you do with all of that? What do you do with those emotions? Give them to the Lord. There you go. Let's stand and receive communion now. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. You could run, 
You could attempt to avoid any of that all the time. Which I would, I, I would have to tell you that if you want to follow Jesus, for sure, like, he's going to lead you right into the eye of the storm every time. I mean, he did stuff like, hey, guys, let's go for a boat ride. Chill, right? And if you've read the story, you know that's like every time, right into the storm, we're going to die. This is how Jesus rolls. It's interesting to me that the first example of fear not in Scripture, Genesis 15, is because of a man who decided to actually, like, listen to, trust, and obey God. Fantastic. Let's go. Like, there ain't nothing going on here. Let's head out into the desert to this undisclosed location, this place that you'll You'll tell me, like, on the way, apparently. And for 10 years, he's trusting, he's obeying, he's following. And God shows up. Fear not. Okay, a little bit easier before I left. You're telling me not to fear, but I'm freaking out because I follow you. Because I trusted you. It was your idea to head out into the desert. And become like the father of a multitude. Ten years. Yes, I am freaking out. Thank you. If you want to follow Jesus, you cannot run from fear. You can't avoid fear. You can't work around fear. Jesus will always address our fears and help us, cause us, compel us to run directly towards them. And then there. run how long can you really run from your fears anyways you could compensate or overcompensate for your fears you could get um, I don't know I guess the, the cliche thing is um, they say that the bully is truly the one who's the most afraid the bully on the playground who was picked on at home of the fear that he's been or she's been subjected to in his own or her own life that now they overcompensate for it by being the strongest one, the most intimidating one, the most aggressive one, the meanest one, the bravest one on the playground. You know, it's a lot easier to be angry than to feel scared. It's a lot easier to control a relationship than to be honest about your insecurities in it. And so you could try to convince yourself and others that you're not afraid. Heck, I'm not afraid of nothing. I'm strong. I'm the big man. Nothing is going to frighten me. Okay. find it so fascinating that in this story it's because it's not just like an arbitrary narrative god is like telling us something about fear it, how it plays out in a life in a community how a man might respond the temptation to respond in a particular way and in the narrative we're told that nehemiah is tempted or asked to meet this man in the temple. Come, come meet me. Someone's coming to kill you. Someone's coming to kill you. 
at night. They're going to sneak up on you. Let's go to the temple and hide there. We'll have a meeting. And we'll talk about how to solve this problem. And Nehemiah says, no. Why would I do that? Number one, I'm not a priest. So that's, why would I sin against God like that? Slightly different context to our life. But why would I hide in church now? Often, when dealing with our fears in life, to find a place to hide in church. Talking about We find um, theological ways to work around our fears. We find uh, religious routines to compensate for our fears instead of actually addressing them head on. It's like the person sitting in the pew who is... uh, constantly going on and on about maintaining unity in the body of Christ because they're afraid to speak the truth to the people they love. And so you create this whole theology of quote-unquote unity because you're afraid. You're afraid to talk about difficult things in a community where you may be misunderstood and possibly even rejected. But you have a theology of unity that protects you from talking about the hard things in life. Or conversely, you can't stop speaking the truth in love. But the reality is, you're just as scared. You're afraid that the things you're seeing in the world and even the things that seep into the church are somehow beyond God's control. As if the Holy Spirit doesn't know how to convict people of sin. So it's up to you to speak the truth in love. Great theology. Great excuse. Great way of not dealing with your fear. Do this over and over and over in the church. I do it. I'm the first guy. I'm the first guy. I hate to admit it, but I I get fearful. I get timid. I'm afraid that people will reject me if I don't say things that make them happy. So I create a whole theology of unity as an excuse not to deal with hard things. But I'm still not dealing with the fear in my heart. I had a friend who, this is actually true and it's a very sad story, but I had a friend some time ago whose daughter attempted suicide. We had a conversation about it. Rather quickly, he proceeded to explain to me his newfound theology of God's sovereignty. And he explained to me that it was God's will that his daughter attempted suicide because everything that 
happens in the Son is only done in God's perfect sovereign will. That, that kind of sounds... You probably have Bible verses for that. And he did. But we kept talking. And I rather quickly realized that because of his fear that his daughter might do it again, he had created a theology to justify the event. Instead of dealing with his fear, he found a place to hide in church. God is so faithful. Let us hide for long. Oh, he's relentless in the pursuit of love. We're all tempted to cover up our fear in some way. Whether it's with religion, running, controlling. It's, it's the Genesis 3 phenomenon. Our origin story. Genesis 3, I heard the sound of God coming towards me. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself, covered up. The man and the woman who had rebelled, sinned against God, they realized in a moment that they were vulnerable. That's what fear is, by the way. It's the feeling you get when you realize that you're vulnerable. That feeling when faced with some looming threat, real or perceived, you realize, I could get hurt right now. I feel weak. I feel exposed. I feel vulnerable. Adam and Eve, the man and the woman in the garden, they were exposed. They realized that they were naked, so they covered up. That's what fear does realize I'm exposed, I can get hurt in this relationship, I could be found out, I could get rejected, people might not look at me quite the same anymore, and so I've got to somehow protect myself. I've got to put the armor on, I've got to put the shield up, I've got to create distance, I must control this situation, I have to cover up, because that's fear. And we all have, I, I believe, I mean, I, I guess I'll only speak for myself, but I think it's a human phenomenon. If certainly what the scriptures tell us that every human is affected by it and we all attempt to cover up in our own ways. And some of us are really good at pivoting as well. We can, I mean, we can shape shift like the best of them. Whatever the scenario, whoever you might be talking to, if God takes that fig leaf off, you got like, I got another one. I got this one, I got that one. I can... I, we can do this all day long, but I'm going to cover up no matter what it takes. And God is so relentless in his love. So here's the question. How do we overcome fear? How do we overcome this? How do we become the kind of people or the community where we don't do these things? Where we don't give in to the temptation to hide in the church? or to cover up, or to overcompensate, or to disengage, run away? How do we follow Jesus into the storm and actually deal with and overcome the fear in our hearts and become more like Jesus, which is what God is doing in our lives? 
It's, it's what he's always been up to. It's his kingdom coming, beginning in the hearts of people and eventually on earth itself, just like the kingdom's always existed in heaven. How do we participate in this? How do we, how do we invite Jesus to do the work on our hearts so that we are his people walking greater, greater freedom when it comes to the fear that we're, we're breathing in this world of ours? By the way, are you guys tracking with me? Is this, I mean, I, this, I'm trying not to be like too abstract, but this is like our world. I mean, this is the news feed. This is, this is the media. This is, I, I don't want to like blame those people. Oh, those liberal whatever, or those blah, blah. You know, it's like, no, it's, this is a human phenomenon. And it's not something that just happens to some people. It is the air we breathe. It's what Jesus sets us free from. How? How? Number one, and maybe this is just a, a, a qualifier, but number one, it's a journey. The overcoming fear is not like, come up here, I'm going to pray this prayer for you, bam, you're good. It doesn't, doesn't work that way process journey it's a lifelong journey requires a lot of different conversations different different um different ways of dealing with varying degrees of fear i think of hagar sitting out in that desert watching her boy die from exposure what kind of trauma did this woman endure to get to that place Okay, do not fear is a little complicated for that situation. There, there's, some, there's some steps to take. There's perhaps a whole lifetime of, of trauma to work through and, 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 and some unpacking to do. And so I just want to emphasize that point that it's, I'm not suggesting like, here it is, three steps to overcoming fear. Got it? Great. Have a nice life. No, it's, it's, it's a journey and it's something that we want to do together as a community, as brothers and sisters. And, and God absolutely has a knack for showing up in a moment and setting people free. Okay, so there, there's, a, there's a tension there. It's not like, well, you know, it's just it's one of those things. It's a journey, and therefore you're always going to be fearful until you die and go to heaven. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not it either. Along the way, there are moments instances where someone might pray for you and say something like, Lord Jesus, will you set my brother or my sister or this person free from this fear that they have? And Jesus said, done, chains broken. This thing that's kept you tied up inside for like all your life, done. Now let's work on the next thing. And so there are those moments along the way, but it is a journey nonetheless. Secondly, how do we overcome fear? Stop covering up. It's obviously much easier said than done. We are a community of confession. We talk a lot about fostering a sense of uh, safety, safe space, safe space, brave space. We create safe space so that we can be brave people 
and confess our sins to one another instead of compensating for, avoiding, uh, spinning, justifying, marginalizing, or simply working around our fears, we come to each other and say, this is what's really going on. This is my deepest, darkest, most paralyzing fear that keeps coming up. It, it keeps reincarnating in my life. And I don't want to cover it up anymore. I don't want to pretend like I'm strong. my theological conviction to not deal with the fear that's driving here in my life. And it's hard because we, we're masters at convincing ourselves that like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Oh, no, I'm telling you, we, we're the best at it. And I'm not trying to bash on the church. I love our church quite a bit. Ugh. We just have this real knack for using the Bible to hide. In fact, God's word is the very thing that's meant to shine a light to the dark places in our hearts and expose the fear that would drive our behavior. So Jesus would call us to humble ourselves and stop covering up. This is why God in Genesis 3 came to the garden. Am I getting a secret? No, what's happening? Excuse me. Oh, that was just a private moment between my wife and I. I'll, I'll come to it. I'll come to it. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, God shines his word. It's like a light shines in our heart. Genesis 3, God came removed the covering so we're gonna have first first off we have to deal with these fig leaves this ain't covering nothing up this is just this is silly remove the fig leaves and address what's really going on so we have to stop covering up and it, it's risky oh it's so risky because you will feel exposed no way around that you just have have to simply say okay like god help me hopefully these are safe people god help me because I know eventually someone might actually sin against me and look at me sideways. Because we're all imperfect. But God, help me. Help me to trust you in this process. Help me to uncover so that we can deal with this thing for real. Number three, how do we overcome fear? Reorder your fears. Fear God above all else. That's what Jesus said. You're afraid of what they're going to say. You're afraid of how they might respond. You're afraid of what they might do because you've chosen to trust me and to tell the world about who I am and what I've done. Don't fear them. Fear God. We talk about reordering our affections. We need to reorder our fears as well. Because oftentimes the fear that paralyzes us in life, it's perceived fear. And that's the nature of fear. It's the potential of, of harm. It's the threat of betrayal. We don't know if it's necessarily going to ha happen, but we're terrified that it is. And so there's a perspective element to it. 
But when we realize that God is truly the only one to be feared because he upholds the universe by the word of his power, he has our eternal destiny in his hands. That is, in fact, a terrifying thought. But it puts into perspective all of the million and one other things that we could be paralyzed by. When Daniel, we read from Daniel chapter 10, that he was strengthened. I didn't read the first part of that. When he had this angelic visitation, we're told that Daniel literally blacked out because of fear. In a moment, he realized, I am in the presence of the divine, and he literally passes out, flat on his face. What an incredibly rational emotion. The one being in the universe that we should fear, Daniel was terrified of. Where we begin? It's not where we stop. We fear God. Christians throughout the ages have been known for their lack of fear in the face of death. Jesus never promised his people, you won't have to suffer or die for my sake. Just, just trust me and, and you'll be completely protected in this life. He said the opposite over and over and over. He said, follow me and it might cost you everything. Well, it will cost you everything, possibly even actually your physical life. But don't fear because I've conquered death. I've conquered death. Oh, death, where is your sting? And every one of the apostles... And the first century followers of Jesus were beginning to get their head around this fact that we don't even have to fear death because our king has died for us and come back to life. Our eternal destiny is secure in the maker's hands. Oh my goodness, what are the implications? Now I reckon we, that's something you kind of build up to. You don't wake up one morning and say, you know, I don't even fear death. Like for real, I don't even fear death. This is not just some sort of a weird theological thing that I've convinced myself of. I don't fear death. I don't fear man. I don't fear adverse circumstances. I may feel feelings of fear because I am mortal and normal and human. But when Jesus comes to me and says, do not fear, I have overcome death. I say, order our fears we fear god above all else finally how do we overcome fear how have i overcome fear that's the question thirdly right uh dear simon how are you now it says dear simon how has god helped you overcome your fear love surely my fear of failure is that the one you're talking about? That was the one I confessed to. Afraid of failing. Oh, I'm afraid of speaking truth in love. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. How do we overcome fear? Learn to listen. Learn to listen. In every one of these examples, what was like 10 or something that I, I read off, God comes to an individual. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm for you. Daniel, 
love you for the price you made. Well, I'm still shaking, but I'm overcoming. I'm being reminded that you are greater than death. And that you will never leave me. You won't reject me. And that vengeance is the Lord's. Even if someone decides to exploit my vulnerability, our Heavenly Father is capable of seeing justice done. I don't have to control the people around me out of fear. I don't have to overcompensate and try to control my own emotions, trade in fear or or. or something else for anger, thinking no one's going to get close to me if I can be aggressive enough. I don't have to do that. If I listen to my father who says, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. I'm strong enough to see you through this storm. Let me walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death where you needn't fear evil because I'm with you. Thank you. Listen. Listen, can we stand together? I feel like there's, there's a thousand other things that could be said. There is. The Bible says many, many other things about how Jesus leads us through this life, teaching us, helping us to overcome fear. It says in 1 John chapter 4 that his perfect love, it casts out Can you hear his voice? listening have you made the decision to trust Jesus he promised that his sheep thus would hear his voice be your shepherd be your good shepherd I'd like to ask you this morning to surrender your life to Jesus. Acknowledge your need for salvation. Perhaps you are dealing with some very real fear in your life. It all comes back to sin somehow. Sin causes us to fear. Fear perpetuates sin. It's a mess. We get all wrapped up in it, all turned around. And Jesus comes along and says, you need to turn away from all of that. Stop trying to rescue yourself and trust me. Do not fear. And so maybe this morning, you're like, okay, is, is that step one? Perhaps, perhaps that is step one for you this morning. Perhaps for you, man, I've been following Jesus. 
but I've been hiding. I've been running. I've been overcompensating. And this morning, I want to stop covering up. And I want to invite Jesus to come fill that part of my heart with his love. I want to hear his voice.